guys. I'm Chris. And I'm Cody. And, and this, this is Swamp Art. This is Swamp Art episode two. Wow, I can't believe we're actually making another one of these. It's been a week. And a lot has happened. Like what? Personally, spiritually, emotionally. You know, I've been in kind of a funk lately. The last couple of days I've been feeling really sick. I went to the doctor and she told me my cholesterol was really high, which is a new thing. So I've been kind of, I guess, binging my, my feelings on... Um, old episodes of Real Housewives of Atlanta on YouTube, <laughs> which is a, it's a great feeling, um, to indulge your, like, you know, your depression about certain things. But, um, also when I get into those states, I come out of them usually more, way more productive than when I went in. So now I like started that Louise Lawler retrospective monograph that we got, um, recently and Oh my God, I went back to the gym after not doing so for like two months. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a real roller coaster for me, but, uh, I think I'm at, at, uh, at the peak. So a couple weeks, there'll be a <laughs> severe drop off again too. And, uh, you, I'm uh, done. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a pretty quiet week. But uh, one thing that has been on my mind today was the um, the New Yorker profile of food writer Allison Roman, the polarizing food writer. Your favorite person in the world. Well, well <laughs> maybe. But whether you like her or not, and whatever your kind of takeaway was from this profile... Uh, my takeaway was that she is just kind of unapologetically herself, and that is something that I think that we do, or that we are. You and I? Yeah. You know, you, you, you can't please everyone, so why not just do whatever you want? Yeah, that's... <laughs> I feel like that is even that is even more you than me, but I would agree. I also. I mean, you were totally unfiltered, so I think that you are. Maybe so. I mean, in in this like society, which is like increasingly more polite and concerned with having specific images and being politically correct and not offending people who are just wanting to be offended, or just like. Wanting like some perfect whatever you have for whatever audience you have like what's more refreshing than like canceling out that noise and Doing what you want like Yeah, I e even if you're like accused of like Living in your own vacuum like what is wrong with that? Well, I do think that there's like a there's a, a balance, right? Like, uh, part of being being a polite member of society includes taking into account other people's feelings. So I think, like, the, the pendulum can definitely swing too far one way, but, and maybe it has with Alison Roman. I have not read the article. This is very much your battle, but um, I do think that there is, um, there is a, Maybe a little bit of bravery and bravado in in standing by your opinions and what you say, which I think we, which I think clearly we do. Otherwise, we would not be recording this, you know. Exactly. It's like while we are recording this podcast, we are like indulging in our own reality and what we find pleasurable. True. And that is what you're going to see in the podcast. It's just us being our authentic selves. Yes, whether you want it or not, yeah, we're going to exactly. shove it down your throat. So, so with that being said, this week we are 
going to be discussing some of our favorite exhibitions of 2021 uh, and going to be breaking them down between institutions and, uh, and also uh, commercial galleries. Yeah, we did not prepare our lists together. These are individually compiled and so you know we did compare we compared and we had to uh, you know fight for ones that were on both of our lists yeah but, but there was only a few surprisingly so why don't we start with you but i would just say this is not a hive mind over here you know we have our own uh, opinions uh, yes 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 <laughs> and we that's part of the fun is that we we love to disagree well, why don't you why don't you start with your favorite uh, institutional institutional shows. exhibitions of two thousand twenty one? Do you want me to just say say all of my favorites? Yeah, why don't you say all of okay all of your favorites? Okay, well, honorable well, mentions if they occur. Okay, well, okay, so let me start. I think. I think maybe the best institutional show this year was Laura Aguilar's photography show at the Leslie Lohman Museum, which traveled from the Vincent Price Art Museum, and I think has been in the has been in the works for many many years, like like most institutional shows. Um, Laura uh, passed away a few years ago, but I think her impact on the art world has been felt far beyond her reach when she was when she was working in the early stages of career and and maybe the middle stages of her career she kind of was doing the the unapologetic um, minority body in a landscape before lots of and lots of people were doing it it's I mean it is very popular now and Probably, you know, in a lot of ways, rightly so. It's kind of made its way to the fore as a as an aesthetic choice um, and something that needed to be championed by the art world. Um, but she was doing it long before it was championed. And uh, as someone who, you know, was operating outside of the the, the mainstream gallery system. Um, operating outside of mainstream society as a queer um, Latina lesbian, operating outside of, I mean, the mainstream of photography um, in her subjectivity. And yeah, I, I think I the thing that I would recommend the most, since you can't see the show now since it's over, uh, is buying or um, checking out the Vincent Price Art Museum catalog for the show because this, the, the, the breadth of the work and the images that they that they reproduce in that catalog are incredible. They're just like mind-blowing and so far um, beyond so far beyond their beyond their years in in relevance. So she might be my favorite. Another one that I was are we allowed to say that we collect that work? Yeah, I think so. Maybe, yeah. And we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just saying that because like, I feel like some of the, the, the artists on the list are, are artists that we collect. And I was wondering if we could, if we could acknowledge that. Yeah. Like, and we kind of... That was safe. We kind of talked about that before, earlier in, in like navigating, choosing a best and a worst. So obviously it's kind of an arbitrary exercise and like you, it, you have to do it as people who, you know, hold themselves out as, as tastemakers. Oh, awful term. And God shoot me if I ever refer to myself as a fucking tastemaker in any other context. But yeah, but but we did. I'll insert, a, I'll insert a, a sound effect. Yeah, but we did discuss this, you know, as as um, maybe requis a requisite for collectors who were talking about their favorite shows of the year, because right. it's like right. obviously, you know, we would have an inclination to collect work that we think is in the what our favorite shows of the year. So, right. I mean, but it's I I don't I I don't think it's a conflict of interest. 
I mean, these are objective. So right. these are really objective. Right. And we tried hard to not be, you know, to lean too heavily toward the artists that we financially support. So the the next artist's show that I thought was incredible this year was Gabrielle Rondell Hill at MoMA. Um, she, uh, she's a, a Canadian-based native artist um, working in a number of media, installation, sculpture, uh, works on paper. And the show was anchored in the center of the gallery by these stuffed animals that she created out of pantyhose that she stuffed with tobacco, raw tobacco. And they're in the shapes of rabbits. They're, they have little cottontails or the, and they're adorned with like um, varying kinds of like flair, I would say, like pins and um, like little dried sunflowers, things that are considered maybe useless by like capitalist norms of, of, of valuing objects, but things that she was using as alternatives to capital in her work. And part of the use of tobacco in stuffing the animals that she, that she used, uh, was a, was sort of re reclaiming a substance that has been used by, uh, American capitalism to extract to an, an extract an extractive resource out of Indian country and monetized for the, for the for the billions and billions and billions of dollars profit that these companies make off of the land off of native land traditionally native land historically native land rightfully native land uh, I could probably go on but I thought it was like the most incredible critique of capitalism in an art in an art exhibition that I have seen in many years, not just this one year alone. So that is uh, a show that I want to, to champion. And by the way, that was, that show was the first solo exhibition of a native woman artist in the history of MoMA. So wow. that's pretty big. Um, the last show I want to kind of talk about at, at length before I get to my list of like shows that I just like, scribbled down in a panic that I wanted to mention bef so uh, before we, you know, right before we started this, uh, is Erica Berzudi, who was showing at uh, the Sao Paulo Art Museum. She's a Brazilian artist. She's kind of mid-career, and she's also a sculptor. She's She has been working in all kinds of, like, bizarre um, accumulations of bronze, ceramic, paint since the early 2000s, if, if not beyond. But I, I think that her, her, if you look at the images, look, check the images out of this show because the way it's installed is incredible. The smaller works, which is not always the case, the smaller works hold just as much weight and power as the huge works that she makes. And that to me is saying a a lot about the, the, the power and the, um, the talent of someone working in a three-dimensional media. To be able to defy space, or three-dimensional space, in that way, to usurp like empty space for import, which she kind of does in this show, is just like, is really wonderful to see. And I think some of my favorite artists do that really successfully like Gabrielle who I mentioned before um, but Erica's work it it gets to the heart of what sculpture what sculpture maybe began as and maybe fundamentally remains which is a monument or the the act of taking up three-dimensional space it can be a gravestone. Um, it can be a like a, like a monument in the vein of the, those that are being torn down. Um, whatever form it takes, 
it is an insinuation of, of oneself or one's aesthetic in a hallowed space like a museum. And and her shapes, her her mixtures of materials are they're, they look like um, uh, archaeological remnants in a way, but they also have a real contemporaneity that um, it like you it you really unites the the idea of sculpture, the import of sculpture from you know ten thousand BC from art history one to now and. I don't think that there are that many artists that are able to do that well. Um, you know, I could just babble on and on about her work and sound like a crazy person, but I <laughs> suffice it to say, I love it. It's great. Um, the The other shows that I really want to mention, and I have like a, a long list, just look them up if you don't know the work. Um, Heidi Bucher at Haus der Kunst, Jennifer Packer at The Serpentine, Veronica Ryan at Spike Island, Terry Atkins at the Pulitzer Foundation, Lucy Raven at Dia, which is a show that we never got to see, and I and I put it on here because I would love to see it in person, but we just kept hearing gobs and gobs of, of praise about it from like everyone that we know that saw it. Anne Chu at White Columns, Celia Alvarez Munoz at Art League, which is here in Houston, Frida Oropabo at the Kunsthal Trondheim, and Pipilotti Wrist at MoCA, another show that oh, I yeah. never got to see, that I would love to see if we get a chance to go to LA soon. When is it up through? I don't know, but hopefully bef uh, it does not close before Freeze LA, which I think we're right. going to try to go to. Yes, yes, I think we'll be in, in, in LA in February. Hopefully. It's like the week of Valentine's Day. So do you want me to drag my, my worst list? Do you want me to fucking go in? Or do you want to have your moment to read your favorites? Maybe let's let's do all the favorites. Okay. First yeah. And 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 keep people uh, wanting more. <laughs> uh, so my favorite uh, institutional exhibitions uh, of two thousand twenty one. Uh, I have five, and they're 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 kind of in order, but five is let's just start. Five uh, a, a exhibition called Liquid Life. And I know Chris is going to be making fun of me for the way I pronounce my L's. He has, have you ever heard of a dark L? <laughs> That's what he has. It's, yeah, no shade because I, I think it's adorable. But it's, it's just where instead of saying la with the, with the, uh, the tongue at the top of your mouth, you say la without the tip of your tongue touch, touching the top of your mouth. So this exhibition title was made for me to say liquid life. <laughs> liquid life. <laughs> Uh, it was at the Christophos Museum in Norway and curated by Martha Kirschenbaum, who uh, curated the, the, the French pavilion uh, at the 2019 Venice Biennale, which was a solo exhibition of Laura Provost, uh, who's also in this show, Liquid Life, uh, alongside iconic artist Pierre Wieg, Wig is what I always <laughs> think of when I hear his name. Wig. Uh, and then some younger artists like Max Hooper Schneider, uh, Sandra Mujinga, who I know you love. Love her. Uh, and then Olivia Erlinger, who is a favorite. This show was just kind of like this like liquid dream of like wetness. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, the WAP video should have been uh, <laughs> recorded oh my God. in this exhibition. I mean, it is the installation <laughs> shots that I've seen are are just like glistening and like you walk through the wardrobe in Narnia. Yeah, I mean, you just kind of want to like slide around naked or along the floor. It's just like, anyway, it's just like... Very sensual. Yeah, but it was kind of about this like... Postmodern ecology and like liquid modernity, which are kind of like these uh, like nineteen seventies um, like European philosophy viewpoints, which 
I oh girl I, st- I still know nothing about <laughs> oh uh, neither but, of us do so <laughs> let's just skip on right on past that part but but like a really exciting show nonetheless um, number four on my list is oral history of knob carry which was at sculpture center with the artists soil thornton and nilufar imamafar which was curated by Kyle Donsevich. Uh, it was a show that was commissioned by Sculpture Center uh, of these two artists uh, about the about this this store Knob Carry, which was founded by Sarah Penn, who was a woman of color store proprietor who opened this business in the nineteen sixties, ran it through the late nineteen nineties. It sold um, objects and textiles uh, from around the world, often antique or ancient. Uh, David Hammonds hung around this store a lot, as well as other artists. Uh, it's kind of a great concept. It is a great concept. For a show. Yes, yes it is. And the, the in, one of the interesting things about it was that the two artists... Uh, who were commissioned to make work for the show were they were not um, they were not really instructed with like parameters to like can you make work about this store it was just like make new work for this exhibition uh, which I guess was to avoid like a narrative of like a rediscovery and rather just kind of like a continuum of the legacy of the owner of the store who was also an artist. I love that idea. Yeah, me too. And Soil Thornton, I think, is a favorite artist of mine. Well, ours. Yeah, by the way, can his their name is Soil, and I see a lot of people... Did I misgender? No, oh, I was okay. just saying I see a lot of people still calling them, them Tory. Right, right. Mostly in museum collections yeah. or on museum websites. So yeah. And in auctions. I'm sure as well. no museum. And in auctions. I'm sure no museum uh, will. Uh, anyone in charge of a website any- <laughs> will be listening some to this. Of the, some of them have like the Whitney has changed, has changed it. Has changed okay. theirs. Well, they hadn't for I, a while. I, I mean, what. An, uh, to me, one of the most like fascinating arcs of an artist to ever watch when they were you know going by Tory it was kind of these very uh, like abstract painterly paintings and over the course of time have developed like a completely new practice uh, that started to incorporate sculpture and then I think their most recent solo show had no paintings at all. Or one, maybe one painting. No, I think the show at Moran had no paintings. Oh, sorry. I, th- I was referencing the, the latest show at Gallery oh, New. Oh, 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 yes. yes yeah. I, for- I forgot. There was that show at Gallery yeah, there New. There was one painting. One yes, painting. Yeah. yes. But I think the way that they... Um, I think the way that they, they talk about identity is so interesting. And like that is a word that you hear a lot in in, in, in art, but I think it's like usually tied to like the artist's identity or their family or their community or their history. Or the people that they're representing in their art. Right, exactly. But with soil it's just kind of this like it's more of like the concept of identity is what they're working through. Like it's like Identity as like conceptualism. It's a real yeah that that practices a real conundrum, which is which is a lot of fun as an as an art lover to watch how you know unfold over time. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think one of the one of the one of the best artists working today. Period. Yes, God, honey, Yo. and she <laughs> and she is fierce, honey. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, sh- uh, love soil. Uh, my, my third show here was uh, Making Knowing Craft and Art at uh, 
the Whitney Museum, which was curated by a group of kind of as, uh, associate oh yeah. and assistant curators, Jenny Goldstein, Elizabeth Sherman, and uh, Ambika Trazi. And not much to say about this show other than it was just kind of like a big party for all of these artists who work in uh, media that is associated with craft. And after this exhibition, certainly as it has been throughout the years, be, uh, being kind of transformed to thinking about these these marginalized mediums as fine art, uh, which which is which is great, and I don't even really think about those hierarchies. But when I do, uh, I get kind of like a perverse pleasure in being interested and loving uh, artwork that has like a craft element or whether it's decorative or furniture, like these kinds of ideas that are not always seen as highbrow in art. Um, it's very queer, which is It great. is, truly. It's like, it, it's, it's, you know, even these artists who aren't queer in the show, they're like honor honorary queers. Yeah. For for making this and uh, you know like the 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 piece de resistance was that Eliza Lou sculpture at the very oh end, my god which was just well wire that kitchen for Wi Fi and I'm ready to move in yeah you said that the minute you <laughs> stepped foot in that show it's just a monumental show it's still up I think right it's still up it, they're very 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 proud of this show well, yeah I think it was. Uh, it's incredible. the The runtime is like three years. Yeah, and it's all it's all Whitney collection. Yeah, it's bookended by at the other end by that insane Ree Morton installation the that Ree you see Martin when you get off the elevator. Was incredible, and even like the some like teeny tiny treasures that some people might overlook, like the little Ron Nagel, mm -hmm. uh, like a really discreet Betty Woodman. Uh, a really fabulous Pepon Osorio. Uh, just, just, uh, and it's like, there's like, I feel like a hundred artists in this show. Uh, anyway, Love number it. two. Uh, I don't know if this really counts as 2021 as this show debuted at the Kunstala Bregan in 2018, but it was Simon Fujiwara at the um, Blaffer Museum of Art at the University of Houston. Uh, this uh, iteration was organized by Stephen Mitsizio. And honestly, no words. It was the most like nuanced, complicated show that referenced like everything from Anne Frank and, you know, critiqued everything from tourism to like, Beyonce to uh, what's the chick that wrote Harry Potter? Oh, um, God, irrelevant, what is her dreadful, irrelevant. Past She's name? canceled. Yeah, we're just not gonna say her name. Anyway, she sucks. freaking amazing show. I, I it, it's beyond me to try to describe it. Look up, look up images. It might do it justice, but going through the maze itself, uh, you should what, just describe. You should just describe the final piece. The final piece is a sculpture of Anne Frank at her desk that was uh, the artist commissioned Madame Tussauds to create the sculpture. And there's like this, there's like two screens at the forefront of the installation, which the sculpture sits super far back. Uh, and there's like these cameras moving around the sculpture and then playing it on the screens. And it was like built to like, uh, the, the sculpture was designed to like be this sculpture that you can, could take a selfie with. Like she's looking up at the desk and smiling and you could like stand next to her and pose for a picture. I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, 
it's taken wasn't it taken from a like an actual sculpture yes it was and because the Anne Frank Museum included that I believe yes in in, in their exhibition and the Anne Frank Museum totally gave the green light to do the whole thing yeah it was like with their blessing and partnership and yeah yeah which is is even almost even more weird yeah really though uh anyway my my favorite my number one show of this year also in houston is wildlife uh jesse reeves and elizabeth murray a contemporary arts museum houston curated by our friend rebecca madelon well, and now it's a it's it's a, it's and, landing in Pittsburgh. Yeah, right? yeah, and we're not just saying that because we're friends with Rebecca. Uh, yeah, it just traveled to the Carnegie, which might still be on view for a short amount of time. Yeah, I don't anyway, know. Anyway, the show brings together the paintings of uh, the late Elizabeth Murray and the uh, sculpture. Or is it furniture by young artist Jesse Reeves? Uh, just mind-blowing show, beautiful and beautifully installed. I love the way that both artists uh, address um, in a kind of like almost a grotesque way the experiences of domesticity and the human body and uh, the and sometimes the decorative that like kind of mines the uh, notions of good taste. Oh my God, one of your favorite things to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like she's using, you know, mid-century furniture like Barcelona chairs and then she's kind of uh, in a, this kind of like Frankenstein way, uh, melding them with things that are like considered in really bad taste, uh, like, you know. Pink zebra print fabric. Pink zebra print fabric or like uh, wooden elements from the kitchen in the 70s. And the way that it speaks to like Murray's paintings, which are these kind of abstracted, uh, domestic scenes, sometimes the body, the way that they both speak to um, the abject, uh, just could not, this show really honestly could not have been more up my alley. Totally. It was like a monstrous exhibition in the best way possible. You know, totally. it was just like, you walk into like a, a, another realm of like an art queen's Dungeons and Dragons fantasy, and there's like all these like <laughs> there's all these like huge monsters and like em- embodied design objects that are all of your your long lost friends. Basically, yeah, it was a, it was something quite something to behold. Yeah, yeah, and th- there's a there's a ex- there's a catalog on the exhibition that you can find online, which I highly suggest you buy. My, my, um, for the sake of time, which I feel like someone on a reality show says that all the time, that I can't think of. Uh, honorable mentions for institutions for me was um, Raldin Yeves at the Museum of Contemporary Art Miami, uh, Molly Zuckerman Hartung, again at Blaffer, that show is really painting with a capital P, not my usual speed, but these paintings were incredible and the whole show was presented so beautifully and lovingly. And then also, um, you came to this podcast for faggotry and you're going to get it. honey. (laughs) Also, honestly, for a dreamer of houses, at the Dallas Museum of Art. Great show. Oh my fucking God. Fantastic show. Very impressed with, with the fact that a Texas institution put that put that show on and that they didn't have to borrow work. Yeah, all only collection show. And it was just 
all these amazing works that spoke to um, domestic life. And nostalgia. Architecture. All... The, the gamut of the, of the gamut. I mean, even like the architecture of like chapels, not just domestic life. I mean, there was there was really a lot in there that dealt with like living your life in the interior of someplace somewhere. Yeah, loved it. Anyway, I think. Do I get to say my worst now? No. Uh, no. Yeah. Maybe we should go to. Oi. Uh, maybe we should go to favorite gallery shows. Uh, when, when am I going to get to do my worst? In the end. At the end? Fine. Okay. I will. I will. Get, I will. Just be quick. I will. I will not be so uh, verbose as I, as I, and confused as I typically sound. Um, okay. One favorite uh, commercial gallery show was, it's a painting show, Ben Sakaguchi at Bellamy. He is an in incredibly unique painter who has been doing what he is doing for many, many decades. I think his family uh, owned a grocery store, and when he was young, he's quite old. I think he's in his eighties now. Um, he became kind of obsessed with the or with the labels on the on the sides of orange crates, and he began making paintings about popular culture using the format of an orange crate advertisement and label and they're just wonderful to see and like something you've never seen before um he also did this huge painting in the middle of the gallery space that was like the most devastating incredible assemblage of paintings um it was a re uh, representational painting of um lynchings that happened in in LA's Chinatown in the uh, early part of the 20th century. And it's just, it was just a stunning show. Um, They're I'm, super kitschy, but kind of... The orange crate paintings are very kitschy. Yeah, but when you look at them a little closer, there's, there's, they're a little bit dark. They're very, they're tiny paint. they're largely yeah. tiny paintings. And they're kind of Warholian in that weird yeah, way. Yeah, totally. You know, like... There will be uh, he'll he'll paint like Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer, um, and your Wasn't favorite like divine, divine and your your favorite plastic surgery victim, Jocelyn Wildenstein. <laughs> Shout out to Jocelyn Wildenstein. Hope yeah. she's listening. Okay, so my next show is uh, Leisha Pape by uh, by at Hauser and Worth L.A. Um, that show was just, uh, speaking of monstrous work, that show was full of these little monsters that this late artist made at the end of her career. It's a show that I was so impressed by because you don't often see artists who, who have become really famous for doing a, a certain kind of work at the end of their life when they're very old, completely changing the nature of their practice. So... She's been known for printmaking and very minimalist um, intervention work for since the fifties, and this work is very sculptural. It's super bright, covered in red feathers, which are traditional to a uh, an indigenous tribe in Brazil, um, and it, it it's addressing this this idea of anthropophagia, which is which is like the eating of people. Um, but not in like a cannibalistic way in like an indigenous historical way, which, um, involves eating your enemy in order to gain their power or hot harmonize with them. So it, if you, it, it, if you see the show, it, it, it is kind of violent and it includes a lot of sculpture with, with body parts, but with like parts of body parts. Um, which is uh, right up my alley, obviously, because, you know, I love that kind of dark shit. But um, it's just something to behold. Um, another show, paint, specifically painting show that I really loved, was Hamishi Farah at Chateau Chateau. Um, he became kind of a, a topic of conversation in the art world when... After the Dana Schutz Emmett Till portrait mm -hmm. uh, was 
um, was was ex- exhibited at the Whitney Biennial. I think it was was that that was twenty seventeen. Two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Yes. So after that controversy, he painted images of Dana Schutz's uh, like four or five year old son and sh- exhibited them. And it got a lot of critique and backlash, but they were really lovely paintings. And I thought an interesting kind of concept for, for a series of work and personal uh, because he is an artist of color. But this show at Chateau, it was half paintings that he had made, it around half. And then the other half of the show was work that he had commissioned Rachel Dolezal to make. And of course, we, we all know Rachel Dolezal. <laughs> um, it, it, so she is now an artist living, I think, still in Seattle or somewhere in Washington. And the artist commissioned her to do some work for the show, but didn't say that he was he was going to assume the... the um, the authorship. The authorship of the work, exactly. So, anyway, she sued him, and I think, or threatened to, and I think they had to change it, but they had to attribute the the work to her. But um, it was paired with all of these like really interesting, small-ish, really beautifully painted, um, kind of mis- mysterious imagery, like of the man whose skin turned blue, who was mm-hmm. on Oprah. Oprah, yeah, like, icon. Lots of, it was like a, it was a little bit like a, um, um, an advent box of, re, of like really interesting commentary on racial, uh, racialized notions of, of painting. And I, I was super impressed. Okay, I'm done with my big list. I'm going to throw out some honorable mentions because I'm just like running out of time. But honorable mentions for for me that I would love to talk more about. Pippa Garner at Stars Gallery and and Joan. Uh, Ishi Glinsky at Chris Chris Sharp. Devin Morris at Delhi. Soil Thornton at Moran Moran. Maggie Lee at Jenny's. Oh my God, yes. Alvaro Barrington at Nicole Vassell. So the, those those are those are mine. Now it's your turn. I'm done talking. Favorite gallery shows. I only have three. Okay. I really struggled to find, to remember, uh, gallery shows from this year that I loved. But uh, uh, the first one is <clears throat> maybe a surprise to you, Paulina Alaska at Metro Pictures. That I think the last day was just a few days ago. Last show at Metro Pictures ever. R.I.P. And also I felt inclined to like have a painting show in my list. Because the only other paintings I mentioned were Elizabeth Murray's. Um, Just they're super chic paintings. I mean bottom line. You want to be those girls, honey. Exactly, exactly. Uh, speaking of you want to be those girls, Kaide Ojo at Sweetwater Berlin. Love that show. Uh, freaking an amazing show. This was a show that was also you wanted to put on your list. I demanded I take it. Uh, I think this show was Kaide's way of showing institutions that he is ready for a big show. Stepping her pussy up, honey. So, get on it, people. Get on it. Uh, and then my my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite gallery show uh, of the year, which is probably tied with Wildlife as my favorite show of the year, Nikki de Saint Fowl at Salon 94, which I feel like it was like the year of Nikki de Saint Fowl this year. Totally. With the show at PS1, also uh, a solo show of, um, I think, works from the 1960s, specifically at the Manil Collection here in Houston. Which is so great. But I, I, I wanted to highlight uh, the show at Salon 94. It was. Uh, I saw two of the three exhibitions in person and this one I 
just was obsessed with. Uh, not only the works, but the presentation of the show, especially uh, upstairs in what I think Salon 94 calls the stone room. Uh, I loved the like the addition of like you know the dining table with like the chandelier made by Tingley who was her lover or husband or something I think that um Jeannie Greenberg Roatan is really freaking great about thinking about presentation and hot take I like her okay yeah, I know tons of people just probably turned this podcast off. Uh, she has a great house, I will say. That. She has fantastic taste. And I love that she leans into design and she leans into architecture and she leans into like the idea of environment. And she kind of totally defies what your expectations are of a female art dealer are by leaning into that. Like, she's not afraid to be glamorous. Uh, and I think that that, even if, you know, not all the art she shows is for me, uh, I don't really love all the artists, uh, but th that is something that I really appreciate about her. Love that. And so, um, RIP Salon 94, I guess. You made your case for her, for sure, for me. Yeah, well, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> I get to live with a, a cloned copy of her right here. <laughs> so do we get to do we get to turn now, to the negativity? Now it's time for the worst of the worst. I only have in one. the words uh, in the in the uh, iconic and uh, und, uh, undefinable and timeless words. Of RuPaul Charles, get out your library cards because the library is open. Reading is what? Fundamental. Sorry, I had to get that plug in there for World of Wonder. I only have one show uh, to critique in this, so I will let you... I, I will. I you want will, me to I, start, or yeah, I will close this out. So okay, go ahead. The worst show, institutional show of the year by far, to me, and it just barely made the cut. But uh, the those couple of days in January that it was open were enough torture for our eye, our viewing eyes, that it made it to the, right to the top of the list. And that is very X-Ball at the, the National Sculpture Center in Dallas. Love that museum. It's a great institution. But that show, first of all, the name alone lands it on the worst list. The, the name Barry X-Ball <laughs> couldn't be less attractive, rolling off the tongue. Um, if, you've, if you haven't seen the show, look it up. There are some, there are some hideous images on the website of this work, which is a lot of figurative sculpture that is made out of insanely precious materials, like semi-precious stones that are, you know, in, in chunks that have been carved that weigh many thousands of pounds. It's just like the most disgusting use of such valuable and and like politically fraught material that I've ever seen. It's it's almost like he went into Party City during Halloween and got a bunch of those masks and then cast them in all of this decadent material. It's just the most superfluous, unnecessary presentation of work that I have seen in I don't know how long. And I don't know Jed Morse personally, the, the curator. He's the head curator at the Nasher. But he's had some real doozies of his shows that he has organized there, like an Alex Israel show. And he's, work, <laughs> and he's working on like a Joel Shapiro show. And it's like, none of this is necessary. The, the girls are not clamoring for this work, honey. Move on. Terrible, terrible show. Um, honor dishonorable mentions uh, are the Frick Collections, Queer Views and Old Masters. Oh, yeah, we agree. Which was just an embarrassing, desperate attempt at relevance. 
Like, if you... If you have to, like, look for the Phillips Day Sale artist to make your collection... Your, your like, priceless collection relevant to the public, then you need to rethink your marketing strategy or your reason for existing. Like, the, the work is unmatched or at least paralleled by probably an, a number of really wonderful artists who could have been chosen for that show to hang in the frick, which is an insane honor. And it's shocking to me, the artists that, that they chose, specifically Daron Langberg and Jenna Gribben, who are both mediocrity in the art world personified, in my opinion. Um, and Deborah Roberts at the Austin Contemporary, because I think Deborah Roberts' work is just inelegant. It looks cheaply made, and it, it, it's not. It, it's it certainly doesn't command the attention that it's been getting in in in, in its trendy way lately. So I agree. It just feels so like flat and one note, and just there's no really not that interesting. There's like there's 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 no. There's no depth to that work. They're like visually or conceptually, you know, it's just so shallow. It's very flat. Yeah, agreed. And it just seems like she's like pumping it out to sell work, churning it, honey. There's no Which, really. It hasn't really evolved. To be fair, I know that 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 is a critique of a lot of artists now and a lot of figurative artists. And to be fair, a lot of those artists really are. So in, in subjugated minorities and I in you know the other part of me is like you get it make all the money you want at this yeah, point same, because same. you probably fucking deserve it but I just can't stand the work that's just my opinion um should I move on to my worst gallery shows is that my is, I thought, are we doing gallery shows I have a worst gallery shows list okay I don't. Are you scared? No, I'm not. I'm not scared of anything. <laughs> okay. Well, I will be quick. Quick. Computer's gonna die. I will be. Uh, I will be quick. Arthur Jaffa at Gladstone. Arthur Jaffa at Gladstone. Love Arthur Jaffa and the Louisiana Museum that he um, opened recently looks amazing. But this show is just like such a letdown. I think I may have built up my expectations too high for it. Because I'm such a huge fan of his work. Um, but I thought the material was really clumsily arranged and inelegant. And, like, the shows that... He, the, the sculptures that he was showing at Venice and Gavin Brown before were so much more interesting. So, another one on my list that I will uh, include. Um, Avery Singer at Hauser and Worth. Who? Uh... I just, first of all, I have two words, white claw. Look up the work <laughs> and you'll know what I mean. Second, this is kind of a gripe that I have with her and other artists who do, who like make work that's post-internet or like technology-based or technology-themed. I just don't understand why those artists feel like it, or co collectors or institutions think that work about technology has to look like it was made by a computer. Um, it's some, it's the same problem I have with Austin Lee. It's just ugly. Like it doesn't, and, and the, the idea that it, the, the fact that it was made by a robot doesn't make it any less ugly or more important or more relevant to the topic of technology today. Um, but Laura Owens, we were discussing in Miami kind of, those are beautiful works. Uses those kind of internet, uh, kind of Tumblr-y. Uh, nostalgic kind of early 2000s motifs uh, in a really elegant and kind of timeless way. Yeah, and that, but there's also like tons of artists making work about technology and the future of technology that are complete, are totally analog. It just annoys the shit out of me that that is a thing. So um, that's in my group. The last one I will say is this this group show at Grimm Gallery with all of the white gays that I uh, have trouble supporting. Uh, like we need more white gay figuration. Um, 
I mean, to be fair, so Ryan Driscoll's an artist who I love, who was in the show, and, and Salman Tor's work is really quite nice, but the rest of it was just crap that that Russell Tovey's obsessed with and, you know, is desperate <laughs> to buy. And to me, that kind of, like, modernist fantasy, 21st century, white, queer, like, restful, peaceful aesthetic is just the most boring. bland, boring thing. I, I, I never want to see another image of a man em embracing another man in oil painting. Uh, we I, want to see it in live action, honey. <laughs> unless it's on Pornhub, honey. <laughs> uh, so, thought it was just... Bottom line, a lazy selling show. Like so many shows of painting that I see, a figurative painting that I see now. And I, with that, I will I will stop being negative. And it, your turn to be negative. Well, did you want to go over? Did you already do your your least favorite uh, uh, institutional show? I did. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, you did. I just had the one. It was remember the name. <laughs> oh, oh, Barry X Ball. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will close the show with, um, I don't even know if you call it a show, it's kind of a group of shows, and it will be very controversial, I think. Uh, I'm excited for this, because I don't know it. For Houston's, I think you do know it. Do I? <clears throat> My, to me, the worst display and uh, gr just overall group of artworks I saw this year was the um, the the opening exhibitions at the Museum of Fine Arts Kinder Building. Yeah. I mean, I'm on the fence about the building itself. That, I know. that they spent like four hundred million dollars uh, to build, which. Um, Honey, they should Natalie, have given it to me. To yeah, pay. Natalie Heron uh, actually wrote a really interesting article about it, and and for Art Forum about uh, the building itself and the kind of the funders, uh, the Kinder family, and how problematic they are. But besides all of that, once you step into the museum, it's nothing but a bunch of rainbow, colorful hallways. That make you want to. Another, so just they are. They had one. In the in the in the really beautiful Mies van der Rohe design designed building, underground by James Terrell, and they decided to, write, uh, <laughs> when they built the new building by oh. doing not only one additional, lit up hallway, but two. One by Carlos Cruz Diaz, who I have no interest in. The other, uh, an Olafar Eliasson. And then beyond that, it's just a bunch of little galleries filled to the brim with some of the most insignificant works from their collection. I mean... And the biggest waste of money that I've ever seen. Seriously. It was all the most kind of PG art. Uh, and they had what? like a a, a, um, a, um, a Jeff Elrod painting hanging front and center, just completely ignoring the fact that he had just, you know, been in court several months prior for sexual assault. Oh, and don't get me started on the Latin American galleries. Oh my God. I which know. was nothing but kinetic art. It was like you would think that any Latin X artist in history only made kinetic art, which is. And they were mostly male. Mostly male. It was either Connecticut art or like super like. Connecticut art. Kinetic, Connecticut art. Which it probably would. Or like really geometric work. painting. I mean, there was. There was no. Well, on that note, should we wrap it up? I guess. I mean, I could go on and on about this MFA forever. But, I know, but, but they, I would... I don't want to offend any more people. But. I I do. We'll have plenty more where that came from. 
Also, in the next episode, I just want to I just want to reiterate that that article that Natalie Heron wrote for our forum really is a great and a, a fascinating summary of that whole saga of building that building. Yeah, you should Google you it. Should, you should read it. Thanks, Natalie. Anyway, until next time, uh, dears. This has been Swamp Art. Bye. Bye, guys.